Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate your tuning in. Today is Sunday, December 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Joseph Homrich. I'm here in the studio and via phone with Sarah Fry from the Secular Coalition for America. This is an open conversation and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at Atheist Talk, or check out our Facebook page, Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we are live, but you can always email or tweet whether we're live or when you're listening to the podcast. My guest this morning is Sarah Fry from the Secular Coalition for America. Sarah, good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk. Good morning and thank you for having me on. Oh, Very my pleasure. To be here. So for our listeners, please tell us about the Secular Coalition for America. It is a coalition, correct? Yes, so we are a coalition of 19 national uh, member organizations, secular organizations. Um, some of them you may already have heard of, like American Humanist Association, American Atheists, um, and many others, the Unitarian Universalist Church, um, as well as uh, many others you may not have heard of, like Black Men Believers, Ex-Muslims of North America, um, and many more. So we work to connect um, all of those organizations to each other and help them to work together on national programs like grassroots and fundraising. So what are the benefits that member organizations derive from belonging to the coalition? So really the the benefit that we offer to our member organizations is that connection. So uh, our director of grassroots and community programs, Sarah Levin, actually organizes um, grassroots working group calls and communications working group calls uh, weekly so that the grassroots staffers at each of these 19 organizations, the communication staffers at each of these organizations can get on a call um, once a week or twice a month and talk about their strategies, who, what communities they're working with, and how we can all work together to cast a bigger net um, and to work on as many issues as we can and, and include as many volunteers as we can. So you are the grassroots coordinator of this organization. Yes. <laughs> Would you like to tell us about some of the things that uh, you are working on? Absolutely. So I uh, came to the Secular Coalition in April. Um, what what I do really consists of um, managing two of our three grassroots programs. Uh, so I'll go over those um, a bit later. But they are Secular America Votes, which is a voter registration uh, grassroots program, um, Rapid Response, which is a citizen lobbying program, and uh, the Party Organizing Program, which aims to organize secular caucuses uh, in the parties. Uh, we are a nonpartisan organization, so we do work with every party. Um, so what I do is manage uh, the party organizing as well as rapid response. Um, I used to uh, work for a member of Congress um, and in some parties, so I have taken that experience and was able to write the toolkit for those programs uh, and really get some uh go for 2019, um, and we have accomplished a great deal so far, and I'm very excited to uh, move forward with those. 
Um, I also am kind of the go-between of our grassroots team. So our grassroots team consists of three people, Sarah Levin, the director of grassroots community programs, Mark Dan, who is our director of governmental affairs, our lobbyist, um, and me. So I'm kind of the go-between that takes the grassroots to the grass tops, or so to speak, um, and get the stories of volunteers on the ground and uh, free thinkers and bring those to the Hill and, and identify bills and issues that we can tangibly lobby on and take action on on the Hill. Well, actually, would you um, give us a little intro to uh, the two that you're working on right now? Like the rapid response? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so coming into 2019, um, some of our accomplishments in 2018, I will... Uh, maybe start with. Um, for the party organizing program, um, we established the first ever, or we didn't establish, but we aided party members who were um, free thinkers to establish a secular caucus in the Texas Democratic Party. Um, so that was a huge win. That was in 2016. Um, so it was at a very uh, politically charged time. And of course, we still are in a very politically charged time. Um, but you know the the room was <clears throat> absolutely full. Um, there were two two three hundred people in attendance, and we really had um, a great start off. So when we went back to Texas uh, this year for the 2018 Texas Democratic Convention, we had another really fantastic caucus. And and the big change, the noticeable change this year, was that we had. Um, maybe four or five candidates scheduled to speak. But afterwards, um, we had maybe another four or five candidates come in and want to address our constituency because they could see that the room was overflowing. People were very interested. And at one point, I actually asked the audience, could you please raise your hand if you're a person of faith? And about half the room uh, raised their hand. So that was a huge accomplishment. Um, for us and for the officers of that caucus um, to have our issues really not just be our issues, but be issues of religious freedom and just be inclusive of, of non-theists. Wow, congratulations. Um, we, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we also actually historically um, established the first secular caucus in a national party this year um, in the Libertarian Party. So we were down in New Orleans for their convention uh, this summer. And uh, we established the first ever secular caucus, um, along with our chair, who is former state representative Brandon Finney from New Hampshire. Um, he won his race as a Republican originally, but uh, actually changed his party affiliation to Libertarian. And he is known as the first um, atheist Republican state legislator in the country. So he is our um, awesome chair, and we have a really great um, set of officers uh, leading that as well. So you can always um, contact me or, or contact um, Representative Finney and the Libertarian Party if you want to get involved with, with those caucuses. Um, and that is some of the great accomplishments we've done with party organizing this year. Next year, um, we are just looking to continue that trend, uh, keep working in the party. So if anyone is interested um, in that, you can always go to our website at secular.org, go to our action center, and the sign-ups for all the programs I'm going to be talking about today are in there and more information about those. So the Rapid Response Network, um, just quickly on that, is um, really our way to get 
constituents in each congressional district to have their voices heard as um, atheists, uh, humanists, and free thinkers. So we developed five rapid actions that you can take, uh, the most important one being taking meetings with your uh, member of Congress's district staff. So having worked in a district office and in a D.C. office for a member of Congress, I know that there are certain ways where you can really make your voice heard and get your member of Congress on the record on an issue and to take action on that issue. So taking a meeting with your district office staffers or your D.C. staffers, if you're in the area, um, really gives us the clout we need to lobby on the Hill. So if our lobbyist, Mark, goes up to the Hill and says to your member of Congress, you should really vote um, to support the Do No Harm Act because it, uh, you know, doesn't allow um, for religious freedom to encroach on uh, discrimination. So, you know, things like the Baker case, where if your religious freedom is taking away rights from other people, then that's doing harm. So if Mark goes and asks the member of Congress to vote for that bill, that member of Congress is going to say, okay, but do my constituents care about it? What about people in my district? What are they saying? So then Mark would be able to say, well, actually, yeah, um, I know that a few of my volunteers um, or a few members of the local humanist or atheist group went and met with your district office staffers. They called your office 10 times last week, um, and they went to your town hall. So that's really where we get um, our power is from you guys out there on the ground. So um, I note that not only... Uh, does the coalition represent uh, 19 major organizations, but it also is an umbrella group for uh, local organizations. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's actually where it gets a little confusing, but I'll try to just make it... <laughs> well, actually, um, I was thinking, <laughs> suppose we have a local organization, you just sort of start one up. How does one um, join the, the uh, secular coalition? Is there some sort of vetting process? So... As a coalition, we actually don't have local chapters of the Secular Coalition for America. What we do is, um, if you are a member of a local group that's maybe affiliated with American Humanist Association, um, American Atheists, or uh, the Unitarians, any of the national organizations, or you're just your own local group that you just kind of started up and, and you're your own thing, um, you can still plug into our programs um, with that group. So that's really what the programs are about, is, is giving local groups the ability to have the infrastructure to engage in citizen lobbying with rapid response, to register voters, and to organize within the parties that they are members of. Um, and additionally, um, you know, we, we do definitely encourage, um, you know, local groups to take that um, infrastructure and, and use it for other issues and, and use it for, you know, whatever they um, feel is most important in their area, you know, because we, we are based in D.C. We can't um, know the local issues or the terrain of every district in the country, so we definitely rely on those local groups um, to bring that local knowledge to our program. So that's kind of how that um, plays out. Well, uh, thank you. We're going to, that'll be our first segment, so please stay with us through the break. And we will return to Atheist Talk with Sarah Fry, talking about the Secular Coalition for America. I'm Joseph Harmrich, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Joseph Homrich, and I'm talking this morning to Sarah Fry of the Secular Coalition for America. Atheist Talk is produced with funding from Minnesota Atheist and Cucumbers Restaurant of Edina, Minnesota. Please consider, consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you would like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Sarah and myself, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk using Facebook. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening live that immediately following this program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production from American Atheist. Please note, you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. In the first part of our program this morning, we talked about the Secular Coalition for America and uh, its structure and what it's, uh, what it's working on. And in this next segment, I'd like to talk a little bit more, um, Sarah, about what you do, because you have a rather impressive title, Grassroots Coordinator. Um, I've had a life in science and advocated in what ways I can for evidence and reason, but you've gone a step farther. May I ask, is it your full-time job, and what's the day like for a grassroots coordinator? Yes, it is. I'm thankful it is my full-time job and that I can um, work day in and day out on on, uh, issues of science and reason and and on behalf of uh, the secular community. Um, So the typical day for the grassroots coordinator, um, day-to-day is a little bit unexpected sometimes. Um, There are definitely you know, sort of issues that are coming down from the Hill that we really want to react to and, you know, either support or oppose and make sure that um, our members and supporters are aware of those issues and uh, that they have all the information they need uh, to engage on those issues. So um, I do a lot of the uh, scheduling for our travel. So if, um, you know, we were in Minnesota actually in August um, and we met with multiple groups out there. Uh, we were actually also at the Secular Women Work Conference um, in Minneapolis. So it was really fantastic uh, to meet all the volunteers out there. Um, we were in Texas this year. We were in Louisiana, uh, New Hampshire, and of course around the D.C. area in Maryland and Virginia as well. So I tend to coordinate a lot of that travel. Um, having been a scheduler for a member of Congress, <laughs> it definitely gets a little crazy. Um, but just sort of keeping everyone um, on the same page. Our staff is really fantastic, and we're all going in um, a million different directions or eight different directions. That's that's how many staffers we do have um, in our D.C. office. So uh, really um, it comes down to the management of uh, those grassroots programs that I talked about. Um, If you join the Secular America Votes program, you may also get me as your state expert. Um, I train uh, local voter registrars in the uh, registration rules in their state and county to make sure they're uh, complying with all of those laws um, as they are different state by state and sometimes even county by county. Um, so it's really just the day-to-day 
managing those programs and making sure that everyone has the resources they need to get them done. What inspires someone to become a grassroots coordinator? What, what, um, what was like the extra impetus for that level of commitment? Well, you know, I really personally um, love outreach and community uh, organizing because it really is getting on the ground and meeting with people and seeing which issues are really affecting them in their communities. Um, certain issues that we work on, like um, religious health care exemptions, uh, vaccine exemptions, and child abuse and neglect laws, those can have really, really tangible impacts on people's lives. So it's really about bringing those stories and elevating them so that they can be heard on the Hill, in their local government, in their local communities, and helping people to elevate their voice, empowering people to get out there and, and connect with other individuals. I know in the secular community, oftentimes people feel isolated. They feel like they're the only one. Um, I can definitely tell you from working as the grassroots coordinator for the Secular Coalition for the last eight months that there are many, many um, inspiring and passionate freethinkers out there who are doing a lot of great work. If if I had your job and I showed up for the first day of work, I would not know where to begin. Did you have a, a mentor or someone who helped you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really uh, lucky to have such a wonderful staff um, supporting me and, and, you know, showing me the ropes um, because I... You know, growing up, I didn't even know necessarily that there was um, a secular community to join, as many people may not. Um, so when I came in, it was a brand new position. I was very lucky to come into the grassroots program uh, with our director of grassroots and community programs, Sarah Levin. So she has been with the Secular Coalition for five years, um, ever since, you know, right out of college. And she has put in... Um, hours and hours, millions of hours um, of work developing these programs. So we kind of brainstormed uh, these three grassroots programs that I've been talking about together um, and got the show on the road. Hmm. What is the, what is the, what am I trying to get at? The, the driving force for someone who's a grassroots coordinator for a secular organization, uh, for example, are you driven mostly by, by a desire to and injustice where you see it? Are you driven by the hope of a better tomorrow? You know, that's a really good question, and I think it can be best answered by the secular values um, that Secular Coalition has outlined um, due to our model secular policy guide, um, which, if you're interested to see, um, definitely shoot me an email at s. Fry, F-R-E-Y, at secular.org, and I can send you a hard copy or the PDF version. Um, I don't think it's up on our website yet, but it will be um, hopefully before the end of the year. So those four secular values that we outlined are really about changing the culture and including non-theists. So those values are freedom, inclusion, equality, and knowledge. And we chose those values because... We want people to understand that you don't have to be um, an atheist or an agnostic or um, a non-theist to have secular values. We really have a narrow focus in terms of the issues that we take a position on and lobby on uh, that really only deal with 
separation of church and state and inclusion of non-theists at the political table. So in order to get those laws passed, we do need to change the culture. So, you know, change comes from the ground up, and that's really where grassroots comes in as a really, really important um, factor when we're taking those issues to members of Congress, Um, because members of Congress are not going to come out and say, I'm an atheist or I'm a secular person if they think that their constituents um, are not on board with that or don't understand or are resentful of that. Um, So we actually, uh, a really fantastic example of a way that we can change the culture and um, the, you know, laws on the Hill at the same time is the Congressional Free Thought Caucus. Yeah, I'm so Um, sorry. I'm going to have to cut you off there. We will return with our guest, Sarah Fye, after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Joseph Armitage. You're listening to Atheist Talk. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Joseph Homrich, and I'm chatting this morning with Sarah Fry of the Secular Coalition for America. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Sarah this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205 or email us at radio at mnatheist.org. Tweet us at Atheist Talk or via Facebook. Before we continue with this conversation, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is produced with funding from Minnesota Atheist and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you would like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I want to note our group of dedicated volunteers, and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We could not do this show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note that all opinions are of the guest, and host only, and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheist Organization. As always, check out the Minnesota Atheist website for podcasts of previous programs. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We always have a ton of activities going on all around the Twin Cities and the outlying suburbs. If you enjoy this show... And all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on our website. Membership has some great perks. Check out how on the website. Now, with all of that relevant and, I think, very useful information out of the way, let's get back to our conversation with Sarah Fry. And, Sarah, I'm so sorry I kind of cut you short on the previous segment. It was a fairly short segment. If it helps, there is about 11 minutes uh, remaining in this segment. Um, Great. So I'm curious about your um, upbringing and what you would want to to share, because I've been a member of a Minnesota Atheist for something approaching three decades, and my icebreaker question to new members is is always, how did you figure it out? Um, so, Sarah, how did you figure it out? Well, you know, I had... Um kind of a unique experience in that uh, I grew up um, in a family where 
uh, my parents and my my grandparents actually um, as well were all um, atheists, um, agnostics, and however they uh, personally choose to identify. So I uh, never went to church, never went to mosque, um, or anything like that. Um, I do have come from a fairly diverse family, however. Um, so my mother's side of the family is Muslim, and uh, my father's side is actually Mennonite. So for those of you who don't know, um, that is kind of the original um, sort of... Uh, how do I explain it? The the Amish you may have heard of. The Amish are actually an offshoot of Mennonites. Um, so my father's family, they're based um, in Canada. So um, I kind of had a real uh, mix of religions, of philosophies, of ethnicities, and uh, I think that also informed um, my uh, perception of, you know, what makes one religion uh, more true than another or, you know, what makes... Um, one way of life better than another. So I was raised um, with respect to religious plurality, religious freedom, um, and actually uh, taking a note from the Freedom from Religion Foundation's book, uh, my grandmother, when she came to this country um, from the Middle East, uh, did say she felt uh, not the freedom of religion, but the freedom from religion. So that's, I take um, my inspiration directly from my roots. Do you think that your upbringing inspired you to learn more or less about religion than um, your religious friends? Well, I don't know um, if I, you know, necessarily can compare my knowledge to others, but I do know that I I do have a great interest in religion. Um, I have studied the Bible and the Quran. Um, I have gone to religious services in uh, nearly. Um, well, definitely a, a few different um, Christian sectors. Um, I do have um, of friends who graciously uh, educated me about um, Judaism, and uh, and of course I do uh, get a little bit of that education from my religious family members themselves. So I was really lucky to have a, a good overview and an understanding of what makes people believe what they believe, um, and what informs their values. Hmm. Um, from what you've learned about religion, and you're, I think you're probably a lot uh, younger than, than myself, and what you've seen <laughs> of the world so far, um, are you a hopeful person? What do you see going forward as far as religion and science and I know that's a pretty big question but maybe you've, right. you've come to think about it in the course of your job and and your position as a coordinator absolutely and that is a big question but um, I definitely am an eternal optimist um, you know I've worked in in the political realm for a few years and uh, I really just have to keep um, holding on to that, that hopefulness and optimism for the future um, because, you know, what we're doing today will um, translate down to what are, what the world that we leave for our children. So I've seen, you know, even my, in my own family um, coming from my grandmother um, who was born in 1944 uh, and the life that she lived and the life that my mother lived and now me that they had never been able to come out as atheists um, before my generation. So that is a huge, huge change. Um, and I know that they are very proud and, and astounded 
that um, we're able to come out into the light. Um, as far as what I'm seeing for the future, statistically, um, according to the Public Religion Research Institute, currently about 25% of Americans are unaffiliated with religion. So that covers everyone from atheists all the way to, uh, well, I believe in God, but I don't go to church, or I don't want to be affiliated with an institution. Um, so that number, as far as people from 18 to 29, is actually up around 40%. So as we go on, we are going to see that number rise, and we're going to see um, secularism uh, take kind of uh, precedent um, in the way that we talk about uh, our values. Why don't I see that now? I mean, that's a huge number, and I've also heard that quoted before, and I had no idea that in the 18 to 29 it was that high. Or are we? Or are we seeing that? I mean, if we have a, um, we have a vice president work, who's a fundamentalist Christian. Yeah, um, for my work in the field, I definitely do see, um, you know, really active communities. I think that, honestly, these things definitely... Um, are geographically specific in a lot of ways, um, meaning there may be, for example, more um, people unaffiliated with religion in uh, certain states. So like New Hampshire and Vermont have a very high, uh, over the national average, around 30% of unaffiliated um, individuals. However, um, if you go down to, you know, somewhere in the Bible Belt, then there may be just as many um, people who are unaffiliated with religion, but they may not be able to come out and say that for fear of discrimination, losing their jobs. So I also think that religion has become, uh, like politics, somewhat of a taboo subject to talk about. People tend to avoid it, and that's really what the job of a grassroots coordinator is, and um, and what we're trying to do at the Secular Coalition for America is get people to feel safe in their community and have a community where they have a support system and they're able to talk about these difficult issues and have a level-headed debate um, or conversation about, frankly, what they believe. Hmm. Um, returning to uh, talk about your position as a grassroots coordinator and all the people you've, you've met, have you been um, either motivated or inspired by uh, people who have um, been, uh, say, harmed by religion or the laws concerning religion? Well, unfortunately, there are certainly uh, many individuals who have been harmed um, by uh, policies that uh, generally elevate one religion over another or elevate religion over uh, non-religion um, in our government. So um, we, you know, issues like um, medical exemptions. I, I remember specifically one case that really struck me um, that Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman, uh, who is a person of faith, was actually talking about on the Hill. Um, so that would be the Tamisha Means case uh, from Michigan. So Tamisha Means, um, and of course, uh, you can find more information about this online, but she... Um, went into the doctor, and she actually needed a life-saving uh, medical procedure that would have required um, a medical abortion. Um, however, she was not given that opportunity. Um, the doctor cited their uh, religious preference or, or the hospital's religious affiliation and did not treat her until she was 
in very, very much more danger. Um, and they ended up giving her the procedure, and she did end up, thankfully, um, surviving that situation. But that is, you know, a really good example of one of the biggest debates in our country right now, which is health care and how um, religious laws uh, can affect people's lives. Wow. Um, what do you think? What do you think all grassroots coordinators have in common? Well, that's a good question, but I would hope, um, and and I do know from all of the grassroots staffers that I've met from all of our member organizations um, that we really do have, uh, first of all, a passion for getting out there on the ground in the communities and talking to people, hearing their stories, um, and what that in turn does for us is gives us a perspective. So I talk a lot about perspective, um, and that really is the most important thing uh, for grassroots is to get as many people's perspectives as possible and weave a narrative and get the voices from the margins and the margins of the margins to the center to be heard by the general population. So that's really um, what I would say is the mobilizing and motivating factor factor of uh, grassroots staff is to really help to empower people out there in their communities to speak up. Yeah. You know, from other guests and people I've encountered over the years, I want to, uh, to emphasize the power of stories and the power of stories to inform and persuade people. It can just be uh, uh, so important and so influential, not just to hear statistics, but to hear the individual case histories of people and, uh, and what they faced and what they've gone through. Um, uh, sir, it's been uh, uh, wonderful talking to you in this segment. In the next segment, um, I'd like to maybe deviate from some of the things we've been talking here and talk about your secondary major. You majored both in English and... Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. And I have some interesting questions about that. And we will return with our guest after this, uh, this uh, brief message. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Joseph Harmrich. I am in the studio this morning talking to Sarah Fry from the Secular Coalition for America. This is our final segment with Sarah. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out the Minnesota Atheist website. We have previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We always have a ton of activities going on all around the Twin Cities and in the outlying suburbs. Uh, this weekend, we are having our Winter Solstice Party, where we have our guest, David Gamut performing. Um, if you enjoy this show and all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out how on our website. And now back to our conversation with uh, Sarah. Um, and Sarah, as I, as I said in our previous segment, I'll give you a little guide. We have about eight minutes remaining in this segment. And uh, Sarah, you had two degrees in college, English and? Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. It's a mouthful. <laughs> Indeed. And I actually have a, um, more than the average persons on the streets, a knowledge of this subject. And for our listeners, 
permit me a bit of background. Uh, years ago, I read a book called Living with, I think it was Living in Our Genes, and there's a pun on the word genes. And there was a case in there of a woman who was an Olympic sprinter who failed a, a gender test, much to her surprise and that of her parents. And uh, all of her uh, her cells were screaming XY, XY, XY. And what they finally determined happened was that uh, in utero, um, hormone receptor sites that should have been getting the message to make this particular person male were not listening. So, of course, with the uh, her developing body uh, made the template animal, which is a female. And um, years ago, I was also a member of PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, where I received uh, an education, a great background education in issues of sex, sexual orientation, and gender. And up until that point in time, I thought at least the question of, of sex was something that could be medically determined with a chromosome analysis, but now even that is sort of, uh, sort of fuzzy in my mind. Since this is a topic uh, now in the news, questions of gender and identification, I wonder if you could share with us so we, we may all learn from, from your education and experience. Let's say it's 200 years from now and, and Star Trek The Next Generation has come true. Um, how are we identifying people as far as gender and sex? Do you have any thoughts on that issue? Well, um, honestly, in the true fashion uh, of you know my education as a women's and gender studies major, my answer to that question would be however they want to be identified. Um, we definitely, you know, the minute you walk into your first um, women's and gender studies class or race and gender studies class, and I encourage everyone, um, definitely if they can uh, and have the time and the means to go over to their local community college and take an intro course in that. Um, the first thing you will uh, learn and the first thing they'll put up on the board is what is the difference between sex and gender? And I think that most people um, growing up, you know, kind of they were synonymous terms. Um, what we have seen uh, more recently uh, with um, the inclusion of transgender individuals um, in that conversation is that it's really up to the individual, and there are really a lot more variations on that than we previously knew or previously talked about. So from a scientific point of view, um, gender really is a spectrum. So we also have, you know, on the, you know, gender versus sex uh, kind of side of things on on the um, biological side, we also have people who are born as intersex. Um, so even that is not a black and white situation. It's not one versus the other. So it really is a spectrum. Um, and when you throw sexual orientation in there as well, um, which is generally divorced from your own personal identity um, of your own gender and your own biological sex, um, it really becomes a very complex system that only the individual can uh, really label for themselves. You know, that's very interesting because that is exactly the conclusion that I came to, at least in the area of whether you're a man or woman, you know, is is a behavioral thing. Would you pretty much agree with that? Yeah, generally. Uh, or or does, that, do does that even you know, mean that anything? We're inventing language as well. Yeah, or does it even mean anything? I mean, what is a man or what is a woman as far as behavior goes? Is it traditionally aligned with the sex we call male is man, that behavior? 
Maybe. That's a really good question, too, and you actually just hit on the second thing they teach you in women's and gender studies classes, um, which is, you know, you put up on the board man and woman, and then you put up there all of the things that first come to your mind when you think about those categories. And we really try to talk about them and think about them as categories and putting individuals of all shapes and sizes of all different um you know, perspectives into two categories, it's really hard to do. So when you look at the categories, it's often things like uh, women cook and clean and take care of the children and <laughs> men are strong and unemotional. And it really actually limits your ability, um, you know, in my perspective, and this is maybe not the perspective of everyone in my field, um, but to express your authentic self as a human um, instead of trying to fit into one of these predetermined categories. Yeah. If if you could uh, say something to America at large um, about gender and uh, and sex, what would you what would you say to them? Well, I think the biggest thing that I would want to communicate is that the fight for equality is not over. So there's you know mm-hmm. I I'm a millennial. Um, so when I was in high school and college, there was a lot of talk about oh you know we don't need. Um, to be working on these issues anymore or talking about these issues. Um, what I would say is that we are just starting. We are just starting the conversation. We're coming out of a an era, you know, the Victorian era and the sort of 1950s um, kind of really stifling uh, these conversations. I think that the best thing... Um, about this era, the best thing about, you know, even the fact that I could go out and get a degree in this field, uh, which really wasn't a thing before the 70s, um, is really amazing, and we need to keep that conversation going, create new language, and bring more people's experiences into the fold so we can have a better understanding of ourselves and others. We've got about uh, 20 more seconds. Anything you want to, uh, to say to our listeners that you haven't already? Well, I would just remind um, everyone that if they have any questions about what I said today or want to get involved, um, you can visit our website at secular.org or shoot me an email at sfrey, that's S-F-R-E-Y, at secular.org, and I'm looking forward to hearing from everyone. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love for you to join us again next Sunday, which uh, hopefully be another interesting episode. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheist, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, our donors. Please consider supporting the show through a donation link at mnatheist.org. This has been Atheist Talk at AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The podcast for this show will be on our radio page as soon as we are able. Have a great Sunday. And remember to stick around through a brief commercial break for American Atheist Viewpoint.